fighting for freedom every day. You as the individual, you have the power. You don't have to join a union. You go in as an entry-level position. You get the experience that you need. And then as you work up, you get better at your job, which means they pay you more. If they don't pay you more, then you go to another company to show what you've learned and what your value is to where you can get more. If they really don't like that, then you can go and start your own damn business because we have a free market laissez-faire capitalist society allegedly, to where you can actually go off and do your own thing. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Darn right it is. Holy cow, what a day we've had as we go through another election that you thought the madness was over, didn't you? You thought that on the middle of no beginning of November, everything would be done, it'd be all over, we'd be nice and calm now, enjoying the holidays. <laughs> oh no. Oh, hold on to your hats. we got so much to get to today. Welcome into the program. Always great to have you along for the ride today, broadcasting live out of the heart of the nation here in Wichita, Kansas, on our flagship radio station. We are all over the country, radio, TV, live streaming, and podcasting, however you may watch or listen to the program. We love you to death. Welcome aboard your Millennial General reporting for duty. Big show lined up for you today. Obviously, it's election day for the state of Georgia with the special Georgia runoff. We'll get to some of those numbers here in just a moment. The record-breaking early voting in that state. What the heck's going on? But I don't want to waste any time to kick off the program right off the bat today. Talk about coming out strong. What's trending today? As we're really excited to have this guy on the program, now that we have most of the elections wrapped up, what we could see coming into the next year or so in the leadership from Republicans and a heck of a lot more. You've heard him on the program many times with us before as well, as he is a political commentator, political author, a political campaign consultant, and a heck of a lot more. You can see him on Newsmax and other places as well. Mr. Dick Morris on the line with us here. Dick, how are you, my friend? I'm great. I'm good. Yeah, yeah always good to chat with you. Uh, I tell you. I am enthusiastic about going into 2023, although I am a little skeptical as well because we already see the shenanigans coming from the other side with us not taking the Senate. What's your take on starting off January 2023? Well, the calendar says it's January 2023, but the uh, Congress, the Senate in particular, uh, under the impact of uh, Schumer and uh, Pelosi, really have turned the calendar back to um, 2022, <laughs> and um, they're, they're, they're basically refusing to honor the new year. Um, the fiscal year in Washington ends on October 1st, so the budget they passed last year for 22-23 is over now. It's obsolete, yeah. and they've now got to pass a new budget for the coming year. And what they're planning to do is to just take the old budget and we knew it for a year. They call that a continuing resolution. Yeah. And all of the Republican priorities of cutting spending, of cutting the extra IRS agents they want to hire, of reforming the immigration system, all of that stuff is not going to see the light of day because a bunch of lame duck Republicans who have retired are retiring or were defeated, but are still there until January 1st are getting together with the Democrats to pass all kinds of terrible legislation. And the theory is that once they pass it and the control of the Senate remains in Republican hands, the House will not be able to override it because you'll never be able to break the filibuster in the Senate. So what's going on now is you have 12 Republican senators who are rhinos, uh, Mitt Romney among them, uh, Susan Collins of Maine, and a bunch that are retiring, Portman of Oregon, Blunt of Missouri, uh, Burr of North Carolina. Right. 
And they've always sworn they're conservative Republicans. But now that they don't have to face the voters again, they are conspiring with Pelosi to pass all kinds of mayhem in the new budget, knowing that it can't be reversed because the Republican the Democrats will stop it from being reversed by their control of the Senate. So I'll give you an example. They want to grant amnesty and citizenship and the right to vote to two million illegal immigrants who came here as dreamers. Now, they're not going to be thrown out of the country. There's no risk that they'd be deported. But to make them citizens and give them a vote, that's kind of extreme. But the 12 Republicans are saying, we'll go along with the Democrats and let that happen. And we'll do it before the first of the year. Because at the first of the year, Cinderella turns into a pumpkin and the uh, Democratic majority in the House goes away and it's replaced with a Republican majority. So before that happens, we're going to pass this bill. And in the course of it, they're going to pass a bunch of other stuff that's horrible. They're going to increase, they can spend trillions, hundreds of billions of dollars more. They're going to kill any attempt to delete the extra IRS agents. Uh, they're going to add to the climate change funding. They're going to add to Ukraine funding. And they're going to do it knowing that the newly elected Congress will have nothing to say about it. Yeah. Because they can't make the changes until the new fiscal year starts on October 1st, 2023, and that's A.D. So we're going to have to sit around for 10 months with the programs and budgets and laws that were passed after we beat the Democrats, after we took control of the House, and it's going to be taking effect and we will have nothing to say about it. The election won't have mattered because these rhinos are now collaborating with the Democrats to pass this stuff. Yeah, it's not the best way to start off a Republican majority in the House. And like you said, we don't take effect until January. But this is not what Republicans voted on to allow this type of stuff. We talk about the budget quite a bit on this program and the continuing resolution. And it's a battle that's yep. always in it. We haven't passed an actual federal budget since around the time of the Obama administration with the 12 appropriations right. bills and actually focus on a budget. I mean, I know that we right. have to get through this stuff, but I mean, you would think Republicans would say, hey, wait a second. This isn't why Republicans are fired up to turn out to the polls. Maybe we should stop some of this and even allow it to shut down the government for a short amount of time until we actually get yeah. our ducks in a row here. You just put your finger on it. Pelosi and Schumer know that the rhino Republicans will never go along with shutting down the government. Mm. Uh they, they've been burned so many times by doing that. It's what Mark Twain said. A cat won't sit down on a hot stove after he does it once, but he won't sit down on a cold stove either. And um, so the Democrats, the Republicans are scared to death about shutting down the government. So Schumer and Pelosi are coming in there and saying, we want this extra spending. We want to vote for illegal immigrants. We want all of these changes that are against what the Republicans want, and we're going to put them in the budget, or we're going to put them in the National Defense Appropriations Act yep. for, the, the, for the Pentagon, which is a must-pass piece of legislation. Otherwise, the troops don't get paid, and we're going to use that. We're going to hold that hostage to force you to go along to vote for these bills, or we'll threaten to, turn, to close the government. And uh, the Republicans are knuckling under, and they're doing exactly what the Democrats want. There's some window dressing. They'll, they'll pass legislation saying you can't throw someone out of the military. 
but not getting a COVID shot. A few minor victories Republicans are allowing themselves. But we're just being betrayed en masse by 12 rhino senators. It's very frustrating. We're talking with Dick Morris. Last question before we, uh, we got to let you go. I know that you're a busy guy, and I appreciate your time very much. But as we do see the transition in the House of Representatives with what looks like is going to be Kevin McCarthy as the Speaker of the House, is yeah. he going to be the conservative to stand up to them, or will he cave when uh, when he gets under pressure as well? Well, it's hard to tell. At the moment, I'd vote for caving, but um, you can always hope. But I want to say one other thing. I think tonight we may lose the election, the runoff election in Georgia. There are six polls that say we are and none that say we're not. And I believe that the blame for this, the fault of this, is entirely due to the Republican failure to vote early in elections. Mm. In 2020, the Democrats changed the whole method of voting in the country. And they said, vote by mail, vote absentee, and vote early. And the Republicans have refused to change. So we go into tonight in Georgia for the actual election day count, runoff count, 250,000 votes behind. 250,000 more Democrats have voted early than Republicans. The reason we lost in Pennsylvania is that Oz had 100,000 early votes and Fetterman had 700,000. Yeah. And by the time people saw that pathetic debate performance, we couldn't utter a coherent sentence. They weren't able to vote against him because the votes had already been pocketed for him before the debate. And that's the Democratic tactic. And for some God unknown reason, hewing to tradition and hidebound past behavior, the Republicans are failing to vote early. And that's why we lost. That's a big reason we lost the presidency in 2020. It's the major reason we lost Senate races in 22. Now it's the reason we're about to lose this runoff election. And it is a total disgrace. The Republicans could simply get with modern times and go out and vote early or vote by mail. Drop boxes are unreliable, but mailboxes are fine. Mm. And those votes count. And what the Democrats do is they get out their couch potatoes and say, you don't have to vote. You don't have to go out. You don't have to wait in line. Just vote right here in this mailbox. And uh, they're doing it, and Republicans are not, and that's why we're losing elections. It makes sense. Every night for election night, when we sit down and see the results, I mean, the Democrats come in heavy, and the Republicans always try to play as the comeback kid every single yep. year on whether we can actually squeak enough out on election yep. night to pull ahead at the very end. Yep. And it's nerve-wracking, exactly. and, and that's why and, we're not seeing the big red wave. Worse. It's worse. What the Democrats do is because they've already pocketed their vote. They screw around on election day. The printers run out of ink. The tabulators jam. And the lines outside the polling places get longer and longer. The Democrats don't care. Their votes are in their pockets. The, the lines are all Republicans waiting to vote on election day. So they deliberately screw with the process to make the lines longer and longer. The Democrats yell about voter suppression. Well, the real suppression is lengthening the lines. So people have to wait in line for hours to be able to vote. And uh, this is entirely a self-inflicted wound by Republicans because they could have all voted early and they could have all voted by mail. And they just chose not to do so because they're too damn stubborn and old-fashioned to do it. Uh, it sounds definitely like a Republican, definitely stubborn in many ways. Dick Morris, dickmorris.com is the yep. website. Go and check it out. It is unfortunate. Hopefully we can squeak through a victory tonight. But uh, right and now it's really looking forward. Say, yeah. 
before I explain all this about early voting and the new techniques the Democrats are using to win these elections, is the return, Trump's big 2024 comeback. And I wish we sold 100,000 copies, and I wish all of these Republican candidates and managers had read the book because we fell into the exact same trap now that I warned about. Yeah. I love it. The return. twenty uh, big, uh, Trump's big Great. 2024 comeback. Go check it out. You can see it on his website, dickmorris.com. Dick, we're out of time, my friend. Thank you so much for the time. Keep up the fight, Thank brother. You. We get you back on again soon. Okay. Hey, Bye-bye. All right. Appreciate that very much. There it is. We got just about a minute before we take our break here. Uh, appreciate that, but not the most optimistic outlook, is it? As we continue to battle the Democrats and their progressives, as he mentioned, we don't have the Republican majority in the House of Representatives yet, which means that continuing resolution that's coming up, oh, about in the next month or so, we're going to have to do that with the Rhino Republicans and with the Democrats that are still in control of the House of Representatives, which means they're going to pass it, which means while we're trying to fight to reform our finances here in the economy and the country, we still have a long battle to go and we're not going to be able to even touch it until October of next year when some of these rhinos are gone and when the Democrats lose control of the House of Representatives. It is a uh, frustrating situation to say nonetheless. All right, we got to take a break. When we come back, we'll shift gears a little bit to the election going on in Georgia right now. The Senate runoff. What is your prediction on this one? Do we pull it off with Herschel Walker? Do we fail this one and lose another seat in the Senate? We'll do all that when we come back and a heck of a lot more. Plus, Murray Sabrin, an immigrant, an intellectual, he'll join at the bottom of the hour to talk about how immigrants are coming here to live for freedom. All that and more for a Tuesday on The Voice of Reason. With Andy Hoosier. Bring some reason into your day. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. So, Dick Morris is absolutely right. According to him, we have a large battle on our hands. We voted in this nation. We turned the House of Representatives into a Republican majority because we are sick and tired of primarily financial issues and economic issues in the country. Obviously, we have social issues. We have other political issues, foreign policy issues that we're all concerned about. But the number one issue, all the polls said overwhelmingly, 60 to 70 percent of Americans across the nation showed the economy was issue numero uno on why they turned out to the polls and voted in November and really brought the Republican House of Representatives. And remember, the House of Representatives constitutionally is the power of the purse. They're the ones that decide where the money goes and how much money is actually going to be going out across the nation, which means, again, we should be the ones holding it. I've said many times on this program, I and here's very clear, hey, Washington, D.C., I don't care if you shut doors and shut the government down for a month. I don't care. If you, We shut the government down for every federal holiday. We shut the federal government down every weekend. We shut the federal government down every day uh, before 8 a.m. and after 5 p.m. I don't care if we shut you down for an entire month. We do not need you really in the first place anyways because the federal government's a bunch of waste of money. No, But anyways, we don't need you. Let's shut the government down. Let's work on a damn budget. And let's actually pass a real federal budget with 12 appropriations bills. And we look at every sector, every agency, and every department. Do you need this money? What's the money actually going towards? Is it being spent efficiently? Is the program working? Do we need more money here? Can we cut it completely and get rid of it and shut it down? What's going on? The argument for trying to eliminate 87,000 IRS workers that they're trying to expand under the Biden administration. I mean, eventually, you're all just going to have your own personal IRS agent. 
You're going to get a call from them every paycheck that comes into your bank account. Be like, oh, we need to make sure and do an audit to make sure there was the proper amount of money. Uh, well, we need to make sure that you're actually spending your money appropriately here. I mean, they're the ones that wanted to regulate and actually track and monitor every transaction that went in or out of your personal or business account of $600 or more because, well, the government wants to make sure that you're paying taxes on that because how dare we think, and this is true, this is what they truly honestly believe, and they openly said it over the last year, they truly honestly think that the consumers, the private sector of the country is skipping out on 50% of private sector revenue that's not being filed in the in the federal government for taxation. 50%. They think that you, as the consumer in the private sector, that you are hiding 50% of your wealth from taxation and being filed in your taxes. And being the greedy leeches that they are in the federal government, they want their portion. No matter what you do. Now, we're already being taxed on stuff by like three or four times from the raw materials to the transportation to it, to the manufacturing of it, to the actual sale and point of sale of it, to like houses and your property. You don't actually own your property. You just continue to pay property taxes on it every single year. So you never actually own anything. They can come and confiscate it if you don't pay your taxes. But by golly, we need to make sure you're paying more taxes on it on top of that this is the system that people are frustrated about and are angry about and while we see nine percent inflation and the biden administration sitting out there oh we've leveled out inflation it's all good now we've leveled it things are starting to mellow you should be very happy now it's leveled out at 8.8 percent inflation but by golly it's leveled out so we should all be happy and thank the biden administration for riding in on their great gandalf right horse and saving the day with his great magical wand. I'm sorry, but I don't think that 8.8% inflation being leveled out is a positive thing. Oh, we lowered gas prices like 80 cents over the last few weeks. Cool. You're still over a dollar a gallon more than when you took office two years ago. So sorry. Sorry if I'm not that excited, Democrats, on all the great stuff the Biden administration's done. We've created 10 million jobs. <laughs> that one's just laughable because it's so ridiculously stupid. Joe Biden, you doing all right, buddy? Doing all right? Okay. Clear. I'm not going nuts. Just making sure. All right, when we come back, bottom of the hour, we'll shift gears a little bit. We still have the Georgia election. Two million voters have showed up in early voting over the last week or so. What are the numbers going to look like today, and what kind of results could we see tonight? We'll speculate on that. Murray Sabrin coming on the program right around the corner as well. Lots to get to today. A busy Tuesday here on The Voice of Reason. Stay here. The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. When Reason Meets Radio, you're listening to The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Reason, common sense, rationale, whatever you want to call it, it's cool. That's what we try to do on this show. Welcome back into it like we do every single day. Trying to cram that 10 pounds of reason into that 5-pound bag. Trying to rebrand the millennial generation. One radio listener at a time. Multiple radio stations all over the country, plus TV, live streaming, podcasting, however you watch, listen to us. We love you to death, as always. Uh, always appreciate Dick Morris coming on the program like we did at the beginning of the show to kick off the last half hour. Georgia elections underway. We'll get to some of those numbers here momentarily as well. But as we went into the bottom of the hour break, kind of a perfect segue into what we're going to be doing here. I We love budgetary talks. We love financial talks. and But I'm no expert by any means. I'm a college dropout on the radio ranting and raving. 
<laughs> That's so. Let's bring in some actual experts. What do you say? Can we do, can we do that, please? Let's do that. What's trending today? What's trending today? I'm excited to have on the program a new guest with us here. He is the author of many books, including Tax Free 2000, Why the Federal Reserve Sucks, the Universal Medicare, uh, Universal Medical Care, uh, along with being what's known as people call him as the intellectual with his latest book, From Immigrant to Public Intellectual, an American Story. Excited to have on the program with us here, Murray Saber. And Murray, how are you, my friend? I'm great, Andy. How are you doing? I am living the dream. Always great to have you on the program, and I appreciate it very much. We went into the break talking about the federal budget and the lack of a federal budget that we've seen really since the Obama administration. We're now, we no longer pass our 12 appropriations bills. We pass these continuing resolutions. We add more junk into it to do what Nancy Pelosi says, pass it to actually see what's in it. We see this budget increase ever so more. We're adding 87, 88,000 new IRS agents across the nation. Uh, Murray, can we ever get our economy back on track and actually cut spending? Because every time we just ask for the slowing down of an increase, then we get accused of like wanting people to die in the streets and stuff. Can we actually get our budget under control? No. <laughs> the short answer is no, because I've been watching this for many, many decades, uh, and the spending is sort of a, an addiction in Washington. I call it uh, the opium of Washington, OPM, other people's money. All they want to do is spend, uh, win votes by spending uh, other people's money. As uh, Ross Perot famously said in the 92 presidential election when he was the independent candidate, uh, let, me, let us bribe you with your own money. And that's what's happened in Washington. And we have this huge welfare state that affects everybody, literally everybody, is getting some sort of uh, – check from the government, either Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, uh, farm subsidies, uh, uh, military defense spending. I mean, it just goes on and on. And so there's a vested interest in keeping this um, this uh, make-believe economy going based upon uh, this $6 trillion budget that we have in Washington, which is just unprecedented where it was a few years ago. Yeah, it is unbelievable. And we talk a lot about trying to show people the difference in the in the budget where we have the mandatory spending versus the discretionary spending. The mandatory spending is really all the unconstitutional welfare state programs, like you mentioned, yeah. Social Security and Medicare and Medicaid and food stamps and all this other garbage. And it, it sits on autopilot. It increases 4 to 5 to 6% every single year. And if we say, hey, Let's only grow up by 2% this year to slow it down. Then that's apparently a 4% cut. We want people to die in the streets and not actually get any services. While the majority of the actual priorities of government, like the defense and military, goes for some reason into the discretionary spending that we have to vote on every year. And then if we don't support the increase of that budget every year, then we just don't care about our veterans and everything else, too. It's a weird conversation we have about the budget every single year. Well, this is what happens when you cement uh, two philosophies, the welfare state philosophy with the uh, big government overseas philosophy. And when you meld the two, you get this monstrosity called the federal budget. And what we need to do is literally go line by line and see what is constitutional and what is unconstitutional spending. And we have a guideline for it. It's, it's Article 1, Section 8 that outlines the legitimate spending of the federal government. Unfortunately, that's been gone the wayside since the uh, New Deal of FDR. And so government keeps on spending, whether it's authorized or not. And uh, the American people are going to pay a heavy price, I think, because one day we're going to wake up and foreign investors are not going to buy our bonds. They're not they're going to be selling our bonds and our currency. And that's when it's checkmate. That's when we have to really cut the budget. And that means a lot of people are going to get hurt because so many people are dependent upon federal spending for their income. I mean, there are people who could 
retirees who only have income from Social Security. And Social Security was never meant to be that way, as Social Security keeps on telling us. Social Security is supposed to be only one-third of your uh, retirement income. You're supposed to have your savings and, a, and a, some sort of pension plan, uh, whether it's an IRA or a, a defined uh, uh, benefit plan. Yeah. And so we've gone way past what Social Security was supposed to be, where it's now part of uh, most people, most retirees, uh, sole source of income. Yeah. Yeah. That is concerning. And it, me being 34, me being part of the millennial generation, I don't know that I'm even going to see some of that because uh, I don't know how long the program can continue to sustain making it the sole income for individuals that are retiring. Are other nations doing this? And let's talk about your new book here, From Immigrant to Public Intellectual, an American Story, your story of coming here and being the intellectual and learning all of this. I mean, what are other nations doing compared to what we are doing here in the country? Well, they have welfare states, more comprehensive than ours. A lot of them have uh, government-mandated health insurance, where it's a top-down approach, single-payer, like Canada has, um, uh, England has. And by the way, the Scandinavian countries have had it for years, and guess what's happening there? They're going more toward private insurance, or at least private markets for health care, instead of having this top-down approach. And that's the um, reality of the marketplace. The government can only spend so much until the distortions are so great that people are frustrated with uh, waiting online, uh, waiting uh, on the waiting list for weeks and months or years for uh, uh, hip replacements, knee replacements, what have you. And so uh, people are dying around the world because they can't get a heart operation. In the United States, if you need a heart operation, you probably get it pretty quickly. Uh, a friend of mine's wife uh, last year, she was diagnosed with colon cancer on a, on a, over the weekend, and she had the operation, I think, either Sunday night or Monday morning. Uh, and it was just came about suddenly. So in the, in the United States, uh, for better or for worse, you can really get uh, surgery when you need it, if it's, if it's a life-saving uh, event. But uh, the cost of medical care, to give you some idea of how medical care costs in the United States have gone crazy, it's $4 trillion a year, nearly 20% of GDP. That means one of every $5 spent in the United States is devoted to medical care. And we are well above what other nations are spending, and that's because we have this hybrid system of Medicare, Medicaid, private insurance, Obamacare. And um, as I outlined in, my, in one of my books, we don't need all these programs. We can do this through the private sector, through the nonprofit sector, and it would save us a boatload of money and get better quality care. Yeah, it is unfortunate because we have this hybrid now, but we don't see, I, I take that back, I don't know if we're even in a hybrid any longer because after Obamacare, things have gone more and more centralized to where the little bit of private insurance that's out there isn't even the best quality with deductibles going up, the premiums going yep. up, them not even covering a lot of specialists. It seems like that's the losing end of the of the uh, tug of war right now, isn't it? Well, the problem with Obamacare is that, it's, like you say, it's heavily subsidized. It, uh, it uh, has high deductibles, so people are paying a lot of money, and they're getting very little coverage. Uh, and the, the, the ugly truth of America is that we're overinsured. We don't need insurance to go to the doctor to, to see our, if our sore throat is a problem. Uh, when I was growing up in the United States, uh, in New York City in the 1950s and 60s, Parents would take you to the doctor. They pay five, seven dollars for the office visit. You get a prescription. You get it filled at the local pharmacy for a few dollars. And there was no insurance. There was no copay. It was all out-of-pocket expenses. Yeah. And then when my father needed a major operation in 1961, he was a blue-collar worker. He had major medical uh, coverage, and uh, there was no uh, angst in the family of meeting all the bills. 
And so uh, that's the type of system we should go back to because people were covered through their work through major medical and they paid out of pocket for ordinary medical expenses. Wow. What happened? Where, when did that change actually happen from that system to what we have now? Well, it had several things happened. 1965, Medicare and Medicaid are signed into law by Johnson in July of uh, 1965. Doctors got sucked into the system because uh, the government paid doctors very well to treat Medicare and Medicaid patients. Then what happened over the years, as costs skyrocketed because of inflation and the, the great demand for medical care because people were going to the doctors uh, because they, they didn't have to pay out of pocket. Medicare would pay for it. Medicaid would pay for it. And so costs go up, inflation goes up because the Federal Reserve was printing money for the Vietnam War and the Great Society programs. And here we are nearly 60 years later, and we have this uh, gigantic Medicare-Medicaid system that is really sucking the life out of the economy. We could do much better. And uh, uh, one of my goals in retirement now is to point out that there are better ways of delivering uh, quality medical care at a fraction of the price we're paying today with competition, with free markets, and with the nonprofits. Uh, providing medical care for the indigent and low-income folks in America. Yeah, amen to that. We're talking with Murray Sabern, author of the book From Immigrant to Public Intellectual, an American Story, along with all the other great books that he has as well. Let's shift gears real quickly to inflation. The Biden administration says that we have leveled out inflation. Now, leveling out means that we're sitting 85 8.89% inflation across the nation, <laughs> but we've leveled it out, and it's constant and steady now, so we should all be happy, right? <laughs> This is incredible. I mean, it's amazing how quickly the inflation rate skyrocketed. And it's not, and it's, it was predictable because in 2020, the Federal Reserve increased the, the basic money supply 25%. I think that was the greatest increase in the Fed's history. And so we know that in order to have price inflation, you've got to have money inflation. That's exactly what the Fed did to, quote, stimulate the economy during the COVID lockdowns and the, and the massive rise in unemployment in the early part of 2020. So here we are two years later, and we've got this huge inflation, the highest in four decades, and uh, the Fed is doing what it has done in the past, try to uh, rein in the growth of the money supply so prices either level off or don't increase as much as they have for the past year, which is 8% plus. So uh, this is all predictable based upon uh, monetary theory. You print money, you get inflation. It's it's not going to happen instantaneously. It happens um, over the course of a year or two or three. And uh, the last time we had an inflation cycle, it lasted 15, 17 years from 1965 to 1981, 82. And we went through the painful period of 21 percent inflation. Uh, Mortgage rates were 18 percent in the early 80s. And if that should happen, uh, you could crash the economy. But in the meantime, uh, people have to adjust their lifestyle they to adjust. make ends meet. And yeah. that's Mur- reality. Murray, we got to take a hard break here. Can you stick over one more segment with us? Absolutely. <laughs> Fantastic. I love it. Hang on the line here. When we come back, I want to continue this conversation and see what the future may hold for us here in the country. Right Back after this on The Voice the of Reason. The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. That's what we do. Don't know how to do anything else. Welcome back into the show. Last few minutes of the program. Boy, oh boy, it goes by way too fast. And I am totally nerding out with this conversation because I absolutely love it as we talk economic issues, inflation, and what the heck the government's doing. As we chat with the man himself, Murray Sabrin, author of the book From Immigrant to Public Intellectual, An American Story. You can also find all his other books as well. Find him on the Tweety. Follow him at M-S-A-B-R-I-N-M Sabrin. 
on the social media as well. All right, let's talk about moving forward here and the government continuously growing with its size and with the taxes and with the spending. Uh, I know, and you talk about uh, explaining libertarianism straightforward, which I love because we have a lot of libertarian flavor on this program obviously, as well. Ron Paul had been talking about a long time trying to get back to the gold standard, actually getting some value behind our dollar instead of just randomly printing billions of dollars of it every day. Is that a realistic thing? Can we actually bring back the gold standard and actually bring some value back to our to our uh, to our currency? Yeah, there's some technical um, uh, issues that have to be addressed, but essentially we just have to redefine the dollar and the weight of gold, which it was from 1789 to uh, 1933, the dollar was defined as one twentieth of an ounce of gold. But that doesn't mean that every dollar was backed by gold uh, in the United States, and that's why we had a lot of problems throughout the 19th century. We had ba- banking panics periodically because banks were uh, borrowing, uh, lending long, borrowing short, and they uh, they were bank runs. There were banking panics throughout the 19th century because banks were inflating themselves. And so we have to go back to an era where the dollar is as good as gold, which means that there are gold. There's gold in reserve for the dollars that are being circulated or the, or the checking deposits that people have, and that would end the inflation. That would end the manipulation of the Federal Reserve of interest rates, which they have no business doing. They have no legal authority, as far as I'm concerned, to do that. Interest rates should be set by supply and demand, by how much people save and how much people borrow. And uh, interest rate is a price. Price should fluctuate according to supply and demand. And if we go back to that uh, type of economy, which we had for most of the 19th century, despite all the banking panics we had, the economy grew by leaps and bounds from 1800 to 1900. And it still has grown tremendously for the past 122 years. But we've had these periodic downturns, the Great Depression, the the, the Great Recession, the the, the, uh, uh, Depression of uh, Recession of 1981-82. These are business cycle phenomena that are caused by manipulation of money and credit. And so um, my book on navigating the boom cycle talks about this and how we can uh, work with that in terms of making sure that you don't get caught up in the euphoria of, of the bubble. And that's what's happened in housing recently. People, prices have gone crazy in some parts of the country, especially here in southwest Florida, where I'm living now for the past two and a half years. Uh, one and a half years. And uh, see, that's even inflation. I've inflated how, how, how long I've been here. And so and so uh, we, we have a financial mess in our hand. But the wonderful thing about this economy, Andy, and I've learned this over a long period of time, entrepreneurs are the greatest people in America because they're the ones, despite all the things that the government throws at them, taxes, regulation, uh, all the uh, monetary inflation, they still deliver the goods to the American people. And that's the beauty of, of uh, the free enterprise system. And if we had more free enterprise, the economy would be booming on a sustainable basis, and that would spread uh, the cost of living, or I should say the standard of living, to uh, low-income folks better than what we have today with these entitlement programs. Yeah, amen to that. we got just about a minute left here, and that was going to be my question, is how do we get out of this mess? And is that when the bust happens, when the when the bust happens from the government and the value of the dollar, is that what's going to pull us out of it? Is the private sector, is capitalism, is the free market enterprise system, is consumers and the private market that just continue to do their thing? Is that what's going to save us at the end of the day? Well, absolutely. But the point is, we've got to get spending down. We have to have the Fed stop uh, 
manipulating interest rates. We have to reduce regulations, get rid of unnecessary regulations, which is uh, which are most of them, and uh, that will give us a sustainable economy. Instead, we have these we go through these periodic uh, booms and busts. We have these bubbles, and a lot of people get caught up in them, and they go bankrupt or they have to downsize or whatever the case may be. So uh, the problem that we have is endemic to the. Uh, welfare state that we have, the, the monetary socialism we have out of the Federal Reserve, and we can get rid of it by just having a national debate and, and pointing out that the emperor has no clothes in D.C., that we need free markets. And by the way, if people want to read my new book, they can read it for free on Amazon uh, starting tomorrow on, and, uh, on the Kindle edition. They can download it this Wednesday, uh, next this coming Friday, and Monday, Wednesday, and Friday of next week. So people can read my story of coming to America in 1949 and um, uh, becoming a college professor for 35 years and running for governor in 1997. I love it. It's a great story from immigrant to public intellectual and American story. Go check it out on Amazon. Go get it on Kindle. It's Murray Saber. And Murray, I appreciate the time very much. I love the conversation. we got to get you back on again soon. Thank you so much, Andy. And uh, you stay warm in, in Kansas. Hey, we will do it. Absolutely. You enjoy that nice, warm up Florida weather. We appreciate that very much. That's Murray Saber. And there, that does it for us today. Podcast up in just a little bit. Until then... We're back at it tomorrow. Be our own voice of reason. Be that catalyst for change. Until then, this is the voice of reason. I'm Andy Hoosier. We'll see you on the radio.